You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be dissecting uh, the latest news and reports with regards to the Arsenal uh, to have surfaced over the last couple of days. Of course, no podcast yesterday, which I do apologise for. Um, I was uh, really, really busy with work, was travelling around London, uh, went down to 90 Min. We did the gas tank, which returned an in-studio show, which you can check out on the 90 Min YouTube channel and then, of course, I was on TalkSport 2 in the afternoon, where I'm heading off to again a little bit later on today, which is why this live stream is slightly earlier than normal. But you can tune in and catch me on TalkSport 2 alongside Shabana Hearn again uh, for some football chat. And I'm sure we'll be focusing on the Champions League stuff coming up over the next two days. So lots and lots to get our teeth into. And thank you for all your kind words uh, off the back of that show yesterday. Thank you to those who've checked out the clip. I will be putting clips on there, uh, on the channel, sorry, from uh, from those TalkSport shows wherever possible. So, uh, yeah, if you want to get a little bit of a glimpse and a little bit of an understanding about what it is we do there, then, of course, uh, you can check out those clips and hopefully you'll come over and listen to the full-length shows. Okay, a uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat because there's lots of you here already, which is fantastic. Um Great to uh, great to see you all here. Big hello to Merrin, to Riddy, uh, to Vinny, to Wesber, to Harvey, uh, to Lester Paul, who says, uh, good day, Harry. Hope all is well with you and the family. Good day to all your listeners and viewers. Stay safe. One nil to Brighton later. Fingers crossed. Uh, Lester from Trinidad and Tobago. Lovely part of the world. And I'm sure, Lester, that you're enjoying some sunshine, whereas we here um, are wearing big, thick jumpers, as you can see, and are hiding from the rain. So uh, very, very different weather. A big hello to uh, Michael uh, Romet as well, who says good day from Sweden. First time I'm watching live. I usually listen on Spotify. Well, welcome uh, to the live stream, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Gautam has finally caught a live show as well. And Thibaut says perfect timing because he's just finished the Cronky pod, which we'll come on to talk about in just a little bit. But let's start off by discussing Armando Broja, because this is... Uh, a player who is is making quite the impression in the Premier League at the moment. This is a player who is uh, impressing. He's currently on loan at Southampton from Chelsea and has really, really made an impact. He's got six goals in the Premier League so far this season. He's just 20 years old, an Albanian striker, 191 centimetres tall. He's got a real physical presence. And we got another glimpse of just what Armando Broja can do when he played, I thought, very, very well up at Old Trafford during Southampton's 1-1 draw with Ralph Ranick's Manchester United. So I was really, really impressed with him on the day and I was commentating on the match, which meant that I obviously paid more attention to it than I maybe normally would a Manchester United game. And I was really, really focused on Armando Brozier because he's a player that's being talked about in, in really 
high esteem of late. You know, he went to Tottenham, he performed particularly well. People were talking about maybe a lack of a cutting edge, a lack of finishing ability, et cetera, et cetera. But he just seems to always be involved and he seems to always cause teams problems from the start to the finish. He's physical, he's strong, he's quick. And in a lot of ways, I think he would fit into what we're trying to do at Arsenal, not just because of the style of player he is. And and when I say that, I'm talking about the big centre forward, but a mobile big man, which is not always something that you can find all that easily. I think he fits stylistically, but I also think in terms of his age profile, you know, I mentioned you're talking about a uh, a 20-year-old and somebody who you know, is is obviously a talented footballer now, but has that potential to go on to a much higher level. He kind of fits in with Arsenal's current recruitment strategy as well. So I'd be quite interested to see where this goes. The only problem with this idea of, of bringing in Armando Brogia is that he is not a Southampton player. You know, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to Southampton, but had he been a Southampton player, a club who have built themselves on this model of bringing through young players and then selling them, uh, obviously getting fair fee for them, which is fine. But, you know, it's Southampton. And, and so it's easier to sell a club like Arsenal in order to kind of, you know, to, to prize him away. You know, a player of Armando Brogia's age and, and quality will obviously be setting his sights on something bigger in the future. Uh, But had he been owned by Southampton, I think this would have been a pretty simple deal to do. The problem is that he's not, and he's owned by Chelsea, and he's currently on loan at Southampton from Chelsea. Now, we were told earlier on in the season that if Chelsea were to sell him to Southampton in the summer, they'd be looking for something around about the £25 million mark. But I can tell you that if Arsenal were to enter these negotiations, if Arsenal were to enter the fray, for Armando Brogia, you can be sure that that asking price will shoot right up. Um, Everybody knows that Arsenal don't have a striker. Everybody knows that Arsenal desperately need one. Everybody knows that Arsenal want to bring one in um, in the summer and somebody who can lead the line for many, many years to come. Everybody knows that Arsenal are particularly looking at young talents who maybe haven't quite exploded just yet, but are at a good level and, and can still go on to more. It just feels like with Chelsea being involved in this and obviously being the owners and, and the club with the final say on this, that the asking price for Armando Brogia is going to shoot through the roof. And look, if Arsenal really want him, then you do it. You know, I I think Chelsea are in a place where, you know, they, they get criticised a lot for loaning people out and for being overstacked and, and having all these players. I actually don't think they'd be against selling somebody like Armando Brogia. Look, he's not... At this stage, a Romelu Lukaku, he doesn't fit into, you know, what they're doing, and and maybe he will in the future. But I, I think Arsenal is appealing to somebody like the young Albanian because there's a clear path into the first team. There's a clear path into a position whereby you would be leading the line for one of European football's big institutions. That's what Arsenal are. You know, we get a lot of criticism and we get a lot of stick and we're not where we want to be right now. But we are still a huge club, uh, a huge institution in the world of football. And for somebody like Armando Brogia, who is obviously on loan because he wasn't getting opportunities at Chelsea, he may be reluctant to go back to Chelsea to, you know, again, find himself on the peripheries and again, find himself on the bench. I think a move to a club like Arsenal, who have just as much prestige and and he's just was well, much bigger as a football club. 
you know, okay, the team is not at the level that Chelsea's team is at today, but just to have that opportunity to go there and be wanted and be loved and be the main man, I think is is of huge appeal to somebody making their way in their career. Let's go into the chat and see what you guys uh, are saying, because um, I'm interested really to hear what you guys uh, think about Armando Brozier. And I did put a poll in uh, to the live chat, which I'd love you guys to get voting on uh, so far. 77% of you say that you've been impressed by what you've seen of Armando Brozier so far. 23% of you say no. And and those of you who have not been impressed by what you've seen of Armando Brozier, I'd love to know why. Um, and it's not me having a go. You know, it's not me uh, disagreeing with your view even. I'm just curious to know what it is that you think he's lacking and, and why you would be against the deal. Uh, right, let's uh, let's dive into the chat. Uh, WM Mie says that he spun Harry Maguire inside out. He absolutely did. Gave him a torrid time. And the thing I'm so impressed about with Brozier, and I know measuring his speed up against somebody like Harry Maguire is probably not going to tell you all that much because I've seen Milk turn quicker than Harry Maguire. The, the fact is that he is a big man who's clearly very mobile. Armando Brozier, that is. Who is able to offer a threat in behind, who is offer to, um, sorry, who is able to, you know, not only hold the ball up, not only do that big man role where he, you know, uses his physicality and his strength and brings other people into the game, but he's got that turn of pace and he can spin off the shoulder and he can get in behind and cause you just as many problems. A wonderful dribbler of the ball as well. There were a couple of occasions on Saturday when I was watching him really, really closely where he picked up the ball and, and just went on these runs. And not only does he have the, the good control and, and the silky touch, he also has the ability to hold off challenges, uh, which is huge. It, it puts you in a place where you literally have to take it all uh, to stop him. What I mean by that is take him out. So, yeah. Uh, Vinny Eagle says, uh, gutting that he has picked Albania over England. He really looks a player and he was brilliant versus United. He works his socks off and has decent pace in behind. I think that's a really good uh, summary of of what he is and what he can offer Vinny. Um, yeah, he's picked to play for Albania. You know, it's, um, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like some people will say, well, he's picked to play for Albania because he doesn't think he's good enough to play for England. And I'm always kind of wary of... of going down that rabbit hole. And I'm not saying that Vinny's saying that, but, you know, people say, well, he's bottled stay, he's bottled the opportunity to play for England because he doesn't think he's going to get enough game time. In actual fact, sometimes people just feel particularly patriotic um, towards their, you know, their their roots and, and towards their background. And and that's that's the reality of it. You know, I think that Albanians in particular, from, and I don't want to generalize, but Albanian people that I know uh, love their country, adore their country and, and want to play for their country and want to represent their country. And their nationality is, is and, and their background is really strong and deep rooted in their personalities. And so that's why I'm not surprised to hear that Brozier prefers or has chosen to play for Albania. It's not always, oh, well, you know, he doesn't think he's good enough to play for England, so he's going to take the easy route. Sometimes that's what the heart's saying. And I think that's what uh, Brozier has decided there. Uh, Jaffet Masigo says, good to hear you live, Harry. I'm Jaffet Masigo from Tanzania, East African nation. Welcome, mate. Really, really uh, appreciate it. And uh, good to see you uh, in the live chat along with everybody else. Um, GB, just touching on that Chelsea point, he says that uh, Chelsea will not be doing us any favours. Absolutely no chance. 
I don't think they'll be doing us any favors in terms of uh, of being reasonable in the pricing, but I don't think they'd be against selling him. And I think that with the global pandemic, we've seen a lot of clubs have to reset in the way that they operate. And for Chelsea, we're talking about a club who have spent massively over the years and in many ways, in all ways, it's been uh, the, the kind of at the epicenter of their success. But I still think that there's a need to recuperate money if you're Chelsea and they've got lots and lots of players out on loan and they're putting them in the shop window. They're giving them game time elsewhere. And the idea, the end goal of that more often than not is is not really to bring them back because Chelsea would be quite happy to go out if a new manager came in after Thomas Tuchel and said, I want this striker, he's £75 million. You could bet your bottom dollar that Chelsea would follow that through and, and do that to appease that manager. That's the way they operate. So I think the dream scenario with a lot of these loan players is that they go and do well and that drives up their price and then Chelsea are able to cash in on them. Look, Chelsea obviously would have first refusal on Armando Brescia because he's he's their player. So they will have the opportunity to look at him and assess what he's done at Southampton. But if they don't think he's good enough for them, I don't think they'd have too much issue selling him to somebody else in the Premier League as long as the money was right. And and, and that's what it's all down to for me. Money makes the world go round. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Paul James says that let Southampton buy Brozier and Arsenal immediately buy him from Southampton for a sensible profit and sell-on clause. Interesting. Uh, but that would require Arsenal and Southampton conspiring to do a deal uh, that Chelsea would probably be quite pissed off about when it all came uh, came to light. Um, Omar says that quality, uh, I don't think we'll get him though. No way Chelsea sell to a rival. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Mint says Brozier is another for the future. I'd rather go elsewhere. We already have Martinelli, Beerith and Balogun. Personally, I think we need some experience. Yeah. And, and I've got to say, like as much as I like Armando Brozier, when I'm talking about the idea of bringing him in, I'm talking about the idea of bringing him in as someone who comes in addition to somebody else because i think you're you're absolutely right mint you know we do we do need to add some experience and we do need to add some proven quality up front look alexander lacazette is likely to leave the club there's been no sign of him signing a new contract and of course his current deal expires at the end of this campaign we're in the middle of february nothing's happening there nothing's happening with eddie and ketia either both of those players will be leaving the club obamiang's already had his contract torn up and has gone um you know and that just leaves us with following Balligan as a center forward and look everybody's been talking over the last few days about Martinelli playing through the middle and training through the middle etc but for me I'm I'm still very much of the opinion that for Arsenal to go on to the next level we need to go out in the summer and bring in a striker who yes has a sell-on value yes has uh, you know great potential yes there's still plenty more to come from, but has to be able to make an impact today. Instantly. That's what Arsenal need. I think what's happened at Arsenal is that Mikel Arteta's come in. He's looked at the striking options available to him, in particular Lacazette and Aubameyang, who he's used for the most part. Both were Arsenal Wenger signings, both very different in terms of their profiles. He didn't, I don't think he's ever found exactly what he's looking for in either of them. And he's had to compromise and go with Laka for a number of reasons because, A, his hold-up game is better. He offers you more off the ball and in deeper positions. Um, but also his attitudes is seemingly better. 
Um, he clearly gets on with Mikel Arteta a lot better than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did. And he clearly has a more positive influence on the dressing room. So I think what he's had to do is he's had to kind of compromise on some of the things he wants from a centre forward because he's had to, you know, make do with Aubameyang or Lacazette. Now, you might say, well, he spent £50 million on Ben White and he spent £45 million on Thomas Partey and 20-odd on Takahiro Tomiyasu and, and then 25 or so on Aaron Ramsdale. So why is he kind of penny-pinching when it comes to a striker? Why hasn't he been able to go out and get a striker? Well, I would say this. I think that in Aubameyang and Lacazette, Mikel Arteta going into the season would have felt that although neither are perfect for what he's looking to execute, both are of a standard whereby that is not the priority now. What I mean by that is he probably felt that it was more important to bring in a goalkeeper that plays the way that we want him to play, that fits into this whole uh, philosophy of building out from the back. It was more important that we went and got a right back in with Hector Bayer in leaving. It was important that Ben White came in. Um, and, and ultimately, I think he's just taken a decision that although a centre forward is something that needs addressing, he would have been OK waiting till the end of the season had what happened not happened with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And, and ultimately now we're in a place where we, we've got to do some business. You know, we've got to be planning at least for the summer. We we decided against uh, moving for a striker in January just because uh, Arsenal didn't feel that the right man was available and for the right price. But preparations well and truly need to be underway. But as I say, with Laka leaving, with Aubameyang um, already out the door, it's imperative, absolutely imperative that Arsenal bring in a striker, in my opinion, who can hit the ground running rather than being solely focused on someone for the future. Look, if you want for the future, we've got Foller in Balogun. We've got Gabriel Martinelli. It's about the here and now. And Arsenal need to get back into the Champions League, back into the big time as soon as possible. And the only way you then maintain that is by having top quality players. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. I can see there's over 160 odd of you with us right now. I've only got 39 likes on the board, which simply isn't good enough. Hit the like button. Let's drive it up uh, to at least uh, 100 by the time the show ends. I'd be very, very grateful. And also, uh, please do subscribe to the channel as well. I think we're around about 60 odd subs away from hitting 19,000. And then we can turn our attentions to that big goal of 20k by the end of the season. Just a quick reminder as well, uh, this show is brought to you by the guys over at Athletic Greens. And if you're listening via our audio platforms, we are going to take just a short pause. Okay, welcome back. Let's um, let's continue working our way through some of the stories uh, doing the rounds with regards to Arsenal. Now, of course, another striker whom we were linked with uh, during uh, last summer, during January, uh, was Mauro Icardi, the current Paris Saint-Germain attacker. Now, Mauro Icardi is a really, really interesting figure and a really interesting character. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about him and a little bit about why I feel that Arsenal, according to The Athletic, passed up the opportunity to open talks uh, with regards to bringing him in. Now, of course, Icardi left Inter to join Paris Saint-Germain, where, let's be honest, it just hasn't worked out for him. Icardi's relationship with Inter was always uh, very weird, very strange. I look at situations like Icardi's at Inter and I can't get my head around it. But 
when I talk to kind of Italian football writers and people who are much closer to the game over there than I am, it, it sounds like they're not surprised. It sounds like to them, this is just kind of the soap opera that comes with the Serie A. And of course, Mauro Icardi had that very infamous falling out with the Inter Ultras and, and all of that, where they confronted him. And that was a big problem. But while he was scoring goals, I guess it wasn't really an issue, you know. And then, of course, he left the club and joined Paris Saint-Germain. There were big hopes for him. But with Kylian Mbappe there, with Neymar there, it was always going to be difficult, wasn't it, uh, for Mauro Icardi to make an impact. He's a penalty box striker for me. That's what Mauro Icardi is. He's a bit of a poacher. He's a bit of a fox in the box. And you look at his goal-scoring record for Inter, 124 goals in 219 appearances, 29 assists in that as well. Um, so you're talking about someone with 153 direct goal contributions in 219 games. That is an outstanding record. It really, really is. And then, of course, he made that move over uh, to Paris Saint-Germain, where his record is not awful. you got to say, 38 goals in 87 appearances and, of course, 10 assists in that. So 48 direct goal contributions in 87 appearances. But it's league earn, you know, and, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the standard is much lower. And more often than not, Paris Saint-Germain are far superior to their opponents. And so you'd expect him to get in on the act when involved. Um, but there's this really, you know, and, and the other thing you've got to kind of think about with, with Mauro Icardi is all these off-the-field antics as well. You know, there was lots of controversy, wasn't there, with uh, with his partner, Juan Danara, uh, who, of course, was uh, was with Maxi Lopez, Mauro's teammate. Uh, Mauro Icardi then ended up hooking up with her. Um, and they now have children together. And Maxi Lopez's um, account of it was that they were hooking up while he and his misses were together. Uh, Icardi says that's not the case. Juan Danara denies that as well. And then it, it seemed like this was love's big story. You know, Juan Danara, you know, a big uh, media personality as well, uh, you know, representing Mauro Icardi from an agency perspective. And that was just all weird and strange. And then there was that whole crap a little while ago about uh, him supposedly cheating on her, flying girls out to Paris for meetups and uh, while Juan Danara was back in Argentina, whatever the story was, it's just all madness. And it's the kind of thing that I can imagine Mikel Arteta would have looked at and gone, nah, not for me. You know, we know Mikel Arteta's big on character. We know he's big on values. We know he wants to minimise uh, those kind of outside disruptions as much as possible. We know that that's why ultimately he wasn't happy with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because of his behaviour sort of in and around the club. And, and obviously, when a situation gets to that point where it's only bringing negative energy and negative press, you then want to nip that in the bud. And, it, you know, Icardi just was not the right fit. So I totally back Arsenal in their decision not to open talks with Mauro Icardi. But the fact that they were even offered the opportunity to do so by PSG representatives, uh, as the report states, or, or, you know, representatives of the player, perhaps, it's it's telling. It tells you all you need to know about the about what PSG think about him, um, about the fact that he's not happy, about the fact he wants to move on. And sometimes you can find situations and deals like that that suit you on a short-term basis, that short, suit you in the interim, i.e. when I was talking about Alvaro Morata coming in for just you know a few months, I thought that would be quite a shrewd move and a smart move. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I genuinely felt that. 
would be the case. But at least with Alvaro Morata, you're getting professionalism. You're not getting any of this noise um, with regards to di different matters like you do with Mauro Riccardi. I just think it would have been a much smarter and safer move. They decided against Morata, so why on earth would they go for Mauro Riccardi, I guess is the way I'm looking at it. Uh, also, uh, reports doing the rounds with regards to Frank Kessie of AC Milan, who, of course, his contract expires at the end of the season. Now, Frank Kessie has supposedly not yet decided on which club he'd like to join. He says he's fully focused on uh, challenging for the Scudetto with Milan at the moment, who are in a very, very good position. Look, I think with Frank Kessie, he's in a place now, his contract's running down. He's not going to stay at Milan, but he'll probably like to assess his options come the summer, knowing who's in the Champions League, who's not in the Champions League, and, and understanding exactly what's on the table in terms of financial packages. Remember, people always used to say, um, or, or Arsene Wenger always used to say, that players will get to this point where they look to run down their contracts so that they can have complete control over what their next move is. And also, running down your contract means that rather than the club who are about to take you on having to fork out an incredibly big transfer fee and pay it to that that club that they're buying from, as a player, and, and if you've got a good agent, you can now demand a signing-on fee, which is often quite significant and goes straight into your pocket and your agent's pocket as opposed to the club that are selling you. So I think this is, as Mr. Wenger predicted many, many years ago, something we're going to see happen more and more and more. And right now, it looks like Frank Kessie hasn't made his mind up. There's interest from the Premier League. There's interest from Spain. There's interest uh, from uh, and, uh, Barcelona, uh, strongly reported today as well. So I think Frank Kessier will have the pick of the bunch. He's, he's been in very, very good form for Milan. He's been a very important player for them over the last couple of seasons. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if he joins a, a big club for a hefty amount of money. But Arsenal rumoured to be one of those clubs interested. I'm not so sure uh, that Frank Kessie is quite what Mikel's looking for. Although for me, I think it would be a good signing on a personal level. Okay, uh, let's quickly touch on Josh Kroenke, who has been talking about Arsenal Football Club uh, on the Road Tripping podcast. I don't know if anybody's seen it. I watched it this morning. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed it, actually. And look, I want to be... I'm not pro Kroenke's. OK, I never have been. I've always worried about their intentions. I've always worried about how passive their ownership is and the detrimental and negative effect that that can have on our success on the pitch. But I would say this. I am much more content with Josh Kroenke being at the wheel, if you like, than Stan Kroenke, because at least with Josh Kroenke, there is a bit of a presence there now. There is somebody who um, appears to you know, get it a little bit more than he maybe did in years gone by or maybe his father did in years gone by. I think the Super League is something that they learnt from. Um, you know, going back to that whole debate and discussion, I was dead against it, but I also understood from a business perspective why if it was going to happen, Arsenal felt they couldn't, um, you know, they couldn't miss out and they couldn't let that, that pass them by because it would be, you know, I'm not going to say fatal to the club, but it would be massively detrimental from a financial standpoint. So I don't agree with the Super League. I never did. I was, in fact, if you go back to the videos I put out when it first uh, came to light, I just felt that 
football fans all over the world had been betrayed by these clubs, by these six clubs in the Premier League, ourselves being included. But I also saw why if everybody else was doing it, we couldn't say no. And and that might be an unpopular opinion because, you know, I, I got I faced a lot of that at the time when I said, look, I kind of get why Arsenal felt they needed to get on the train before it left the station. But ultimately, overall, it was a bad idea. It was an idea that was shut down very, very quickly here. And that's um, a credit to the fans who, who went out in their numbers and really made their feelings known. But I think he's learned a little bit from that. And I think the lines of communication that have been open with the fans off the back of that uh, have done some good. And I think they'll continue to do some good. Um, so, you know, I'm not completely trusting of him or his father. I think that, you know, it is, um, you know, it is, it is a horrible situation to be in when you kind of feel that the people who are custodians of your football club might not always have the right intentions or perhaps that's wrong. Perhaps that's unfair to say they don't have the right intentions. You know, they've just taken the LA Rams to win the Super Bowl. So they do want to win. Winning is what they're trying to do, um, at least in the States. But I, my worry and my fear has always been with KSE that they're too distant. And on the one hand, that's a good thing because you don't want Josh Kroenke dabbling in football decisions because he doesn't have a bloody clue. But by the other token, you don't want him too far away because you need his involvement and his engagement in order for this project, if you like, to progress forward and move in the right direction. He spoke very well of Mikel Arteta. He spoke very well of Edu. He talked about the fact that they've been entrusted with building the squad, along with Richard Garlic, that it was their job. It was their remit uh, for those things. Um and he also, I think the big comment that's been kind of taken away from this and put out all over social media is that he feels that the passion behind football here in the UK is much deeper than what he sees in some of the American sports. Now, I agree with that. I think that European and South American football um, in particular uh, have a lot more passion around them. I think football's well-loved in Asia and it's well-loved in Africa, but I think it... It probably took off a little bit later in those parts of the world. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I just feel like, you know, it's South America and, and Europe football has been at the forefront of, of culture in a lot of ways. And it's been something that's been going for years and years and years. And so, of course, that passion and, of course, those connections that you feel with your football club are going to be deeper. You know, and again, I don't mean this disrespectfully to those who follow American sports, but a lot of those franchises, if you want to call them that, have just popped up in recent years. So you don't have what I have, where I come from a family of Arsenal supporters, and that's been passed down, because you can't have possibly had that, because those clubs or franchises didn't exist. It's not something that, you know, it, it's, I think Josh Conkey's absolutely spot on. If somebody's granddad supported the Arsenal and then took his dad to the Arsenal and then his dad took him and now he's taking his boy that kind of generational support which really intertwines us supporters with the football club that doesn't exist if you're talking about a franchise that kicked off five years ago that's not to say that there aren't people that are massively um you know that are massively uh, into their sport and massively passionate about their club but, you know, it just, it, that's the way I see it. You know, if you look at, um, 
a lot of American sport. I think that is that is the case. And I'm not saying it's the case with all of them. There's loads of historical clubs and franchises, if you like, um, you know, that, of course, have been running for time and, and people have sort of become attached to them over the years. But I just think, you know, it's um, it, it's different. It's different. Look, I've, I've just found something online. Let me see if I can share this with you. Can I share it with you? Um, can I find it? Yeah. So, like, look, the New England Patriots, right? They were founded in 1960. Okay. You look at the New Orleans Saints, 1967. Tampa Bay Buccaneers or Buccaneers, 1974. Carolina Panthers, 1993. Houston Texans. 2002, Baltimore Ravens, 1996. That's not to criticise those franchises. Well, that's not to criticise, you know, American sport. But you don't have that deep-rooted connection or that deep-rooted tradition that goes back to the 19, early 1900s like you do with some of the football clubs. That's all I'm saying. So that's what I think Josh was getting at. I think he's he's realised and understood. Um that with a lot of these, um, you know, with a lot of these, uh, with a lot of these, these football clubs, the, the history is greater. And so the, the connection is greater. Um, Matt Tomo says that's not for all American sports, though. Baseball, for example, goes back to the 1870s. Definitely families that support one team. Um, look at Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears and New Giants. Yeah. Look, I get that. And he says Major League Baseball absolutely has those deep rooted traditions. Maybe. Uh, maybe it does. I'm not I'm not saying that all as I said right at the top of that little bit, I'm not saying that about all American sports or all American teams or all American fans. I'm just saying that it's it's a different world, it's a different model. And and I think that some of the the passion that we have around soccer, as as you guys would call it, is is far more deep rooted than you can have for a sport or a club or a franchise that haven't been around for half as long. That's what I'm trying to say. And also, um, as some bloke says, there's um, there's no jeopardy in a lot of those American sports. There's no relegation. There's no promotion. You don't really feel as much, you know, there, yes, there are ups and downs. There are ups and downs in all sports, right? But you don't have... Um, you know, imagine the low that you would feel as an Arsenal fan if we got relegated. Just imagine how that would be. You could never feel that in a sport with no jeopardy. And 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 I just think that football is is unique. Our football that is is unique in that way, in the way that there's jeopardy, in the way that the his, this history, and in how deep rooted it is. And I don't think you can mirror that. And I think that's probably what Josh Kroenke was getting at anyway. Okay, uh, let's take a few of your questions for the last sort of uh, 10 or so minutes. I'd love to hear from you guys in the live chat box. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. Uh, We're around about 18 likes away from hitting the 100 mark. Keep voting uh, in our poll. Uh, Have you been impressed by what you've seen of Armando Brozier? 79% of you say yes, 21% of you say no. Still haven't heard from anybody as to why they've not been impressed. I'd love to hear from you uh, if you've got a view on that. Uh, Okay, uh, let's take some of your uh, views and some of your thoughts. Uh, Lots of debate sparked off the back of those 
uh, comments around American sports. And just to reiterate that, look, I don't mean um, that American sport is crap. I'm not saying it's hollow. I'm not saying any of that. I think there are things that are brilliant about American sport. You know, for example, um, I like the the MLS wage cap. I think that's really cool. Like, I think that's a really good way of of keeping the playing field relatively level. I like the idea of the drafts. I think that's cool as well and the way they feed players up. So I think there's a lot of good things in American sport. I'm not sitting here uh, sort of ripping it apart. I just think it's very different and it's not very, really comparable uh, in a lot of ways. And and a, a lot of people try to make that comparison. Look, every time the Super Bowl comes up, it's, oh, why don't we get halftime shows like that in football? No, because that's a very American thing. That's how that's how it works there. That's how it's always been in terms of the commercial side of it has always been much stronger in American sport than it is in UK sport. And that's not to say I don't like it. I, I love the halftime show. I watched it last night uh, again for a second time. I love it. And I look forward to the Super Bowl probably more so for that reason than any other. But I don't want to go to the Emirates Stadium and see people pop up. Uh, on the pitch at half time because it's just not what it is. You know, everything has its place. Everything has its uh, way, its history, its its tradition. I'm good with how, how it is. Uh, okay. Um, Riddy says that, Harry, I saw the interview. I don't doubt his intentions. And I think he has a much better grasp of the situation than Stan does. Completely agree. Only worry is their long-term ambition for the club. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's really... They'll always say that they want to compete at the highest level and compete for the biggest trophies. That's what you expect them to say. That's what you want them to say as a fan. Okay, but I also don't read too much into that at this stage. I think right now we can't really be looking too long term. I think we need to get back into the Champions League. We need to be a Champions League uh, regular. And then from then on, uh, we can then look at the next level up. I'm, I think you should always have long term objectives and goals and ambitions, which will ultimately be to win the Premier League, for example. But I think that you, you at this stage, there's a very clear goal and a very clear ambition. That's to get back in the Champions League regularly. And, and that's where we need to be looking for now. Uh, Matt says, um, Harry, have you ever been to the US? I haven't. It's on my to-do list, but I haven't. Um, i got to be honest. I haven't. And so I appreciate that when I'm talking about American sports, it's not coming from the most educated place in the world. Um, I get that. And, and as I say, lots of great things about it. but there's things that people suggest should be introduced in our sport here um, to kind of mirror that, that I just don't think fit or work. Um, what else have we got? With relegation, it may only last a year. And if Arsenal were to be relegated, they would be highly favoured to be right back in the PL, certainly at not a lifetime banishment. I, I, that was in a follow-up to your conversation, I'm guessing, um, with uh, uh, in the chat about this whole lack of jeopardy stuff in, in American sport. Uh, Steve Stone says, uh, Harry, I've just got home after bringing Mrs. S back from the hairdressers. Uh, history tells me that her hair looks nice. What do you say? What do you think? <laughs> I'm a little bit baffed here. History tells me that her hair looks nice. What do you think? Just always say it looks nice, mate. There's whether it does or it doesn't, just always say it looks nice. You just want to have an easy life. That's how I see it. Um <laughs> JB1U says, as an American, seeing a halftime show at an English football game would make me throw up. 
fantastic. Um, do, 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 do. What else have we got? Uh, Wesbird says, would you prefer for Josh to be solely in charge rather than the face for his father? I think he pretty much is. I think he's the one that calls the shots when it comes to Arsenal. I think that obviously his dad is a, uh, is part of the, um, you know, is, is obviously the face and the, the main man in the company. But I think that Josh is, is pretty much the guy calling the shots at the moment. Matt Tomo goes on to say, would you try to go to American sports games if you visited the country? Which ones? Yeah, I would. I'd like to go to a baseball game, a basketball game, an NFL game. Um, I'd like to try them all. I really would. Not so keen on hockey uh, just because it's not um, something that really appeals to me. But yeah, check them out. Okay, um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, Christoph says, uh, as a lifelong Red Sox fan, I highly recommend Fenway Park, Harry. Walking into Highbury the first time during the Invincible season reminded me of my first trip to Fenway as an eight-year-old boy. I'll definitely check that out, hopefully, when I get the opportunity to come over. Uh, Omar says, did you watch the Super Bowl final on Sunday? Not into NFL, I have to admit, so I wasn't really interested. I saw most of it, but obviously the time difference here made it really difficult to stay up um i was up all day and then i uh then i had to go that well then i had the evening which didn't go to plan due to um due to the kids and then of course i watched as much of it as i possibly could fell asleep right towards the end um and then had to get up and go to work yesterday and i really paid for it so i watched most of it but in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have watched it uh, if I could go back and make that decision now just because of how it impacted me the next day uh, with a really, really busy day of work. OK, um, I think we're going to leave it there. Um, I think we're going to leave it there because uh, it is 1 p.m. here in the UK and I'm going to be heading off to TalkSport 2 in a very short while. You can catch me on uh, the show live with Shabana Hearn. Uh, once again, from 4 till 6 p.m. Uh, don't really know what we're going to be talking about just yet, but I think there'll be lots of Champions League stuff um, and lots of general football chat. So make sure you come and join us uh, for that. It should be great fun. Until then, uh, take care of yourselves. And I'll try and pop a clip up uh, from the show a little bit later on tonight as well. So you'll be able to uh, get a glimpse of what it is we do there. Don't forget, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't done so already, we're two likes away from 100. So let's uh, get there sooner rather than later. I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.